thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Isn't it great that Marie has sung the lion and the lamb this morning? Yeah? On a day when most people in the country are focusing on three lions, we can fix our eyes on one. We can fix our eyes on one. You know, tonight there may be disappointment. I hope not. There may be frustration. There may be a devastation for some people at the end. But with the Lion of Judah, the one lion that is the Lord Jesus, there won't be disappointment because he wins. He wins. Not on penalties, not in extra time, but he wins. So actually, this morning, we're going to turn our attention to the Lion of Judah. We're going to turn our attention to the one who is the Lamb and the Lion, the one who was given and the one who reigns. So we're going to be carrying on our series in Isaiah. If you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to bring them. If you've, if you've never had a Bible and you want one, just ask and we'll get you one. If you want a Bible, you can underline bits and go back to it in the week. And God will continue to speak to you through what you read. But many of us today will remember Saturday morning TV. Yeah? Okay, who, who was a fan of uh, Tiz Was? Let's have a Tiz Was. Oh, Jeff, that surprises me. I'd have thought, you know, the rebellious nature of Tiz Was wasn't up your street, maybe. Well, obviously, a, 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 bit of a bit of a hidden characteristic there, I would say. What about uh, Saturday morning swap shop? Yeah, okay, there's a few swap shoppers in this morning. Superstore, Saturday Superstore. We get Anton Deck, SMTV. No? What was it after that? I don't know, I'm too old. But Saturday morning TV was a big deal. And uh, I grew up in the age of swap shop. And it was Noel Edmonds, Maggie Philbin, John Craven, and Keith Chegwin. And they would encourage kids on a Saturday morning to swap their old unwanted stuff for something new. And they would phone up and they would say, I've got Lego, I want to swap it for a wardrobe or something exciting like that. They would offer their things. It was a little bit like eBay for us today, okay? Where you get rid of your stuff and then you buy more stuff. Probably equally as useless. Or maybe, if that's a little bit too old for you, I'm thinking about your Courtney's in the room, you know, swap shop, what's that? Um, there, was, there was a book written by a guy, I think he was Canadian, and it's called One Red Paperclip. Anyone read it? No? He, this is a true story. He swapped from a red paperclip and he ends up with a house, okay? That, you might think that's unbelievable, but he does do it. He gets from a red paperclip and eventually owns a house. He swaps and swaps and swaps and swaps and swaps until eventually he gets the thing he set out to get. So maybe, for those of you who are looking for a house, get a paperclip, you know? But don't, don't just trust in the paperclip because it probably won't completely work. But that is some swap, isn't it? A bit unbelievable, a bit out of control, you might say. But actually, an incredible swap. Well, Isaiah 53, often part of the, the book that's called Second Isaiah, because it's possibly written by a young student of Isaiah himself, 
looks at the upside down swap shop kingdom of God. So I want you to think about exchanges. I want you to think about swaps. I'm going to quickly take you back to chapter 6. You don't need to read this. But in chapter 6, when we looked at chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 1 says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah starts off by talking about the king, the Lord that is king, that sits on a throne, that rules, that reigns, and is sovereign. He's exalted and seated on a throne. But from Isaiah 50 onwards, we start to see an image of a servant instead of a king. Sometimes that word servant is about the people of Israel. It's about a group of people. Sometimes that word servant is about a specific person. And I believe in Isaiah 53, that word servant is pointing forwards to Jesus. And if you don't believe me, have a read of it. Because everything it says, written 600 years before Jesus came around, points directly to Jesus, the lion and the lamb. The lamb that was given and the lion who defeats and roars. So there's our first swap. Isaiah 52 verse 13 says this, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. We go from this king and it's swapped for a servant. You know, who thinks of royalty as a servant? Who thinks of a king as somebody who serves? And actually, the king isn't a distant, do as I say, king. He becomes the servant that says, do as I do. Don't just do as I say. Let me show you what it means to serve. He's a servant who comes down and says, do as I do. He's all about humility, not ego. It's all about humility, not ego. Gentleness instead of brashness. Weakness that's used as a strength. God's kingdom is not what you would expect. I'm not being funny. I just look out here every Sunday and I see God's kingdom is not what anybody would expect. What a variety of people I can see. What a variety of of different backgrounds we have in our church. We're so blessed. But firstly, the view of the servant. Let's have a look at this passage that talks about the servant. The New Testament mentions it 34 times in terms of Jesus. The New Testament writers refer to this this chapter particularly 34 times to say, this is Jesus. To those of you who don't believe yet, this is Jesus. This is Jesus that came to suffer, to suffer and to die. Those that were expecting a king to come and brush aside the Roman Empire by force... We're looking in the wrong place. They needed to swap their mindset. They needed to change what they were about. He was going to be a king, but he was going to be a servant king. Not only that, but a suffering servant king. Many of us look at the world and we say, how can there be a God when there's so much suffering? We only have to look first at Jesus. He suffered so that we could have life. In faith and religious terms, it's the difference between dropping some of our pennies in the cup of a beggar on a street to actually living on the street with that person, yeah? That's what Jesus did. He didn't just walk past and throw a few pennies our way. He came down and he lived as us. And he coped with what we cope with. 
and he put up with the suffering. So let's start Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to read verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It starts off by saying, who has believed this? And maybe this morning you don't believe. Maybe this morning that question can be asked of all of us watching or here. Who has believed the message? Who has believed that Jesus died for sin? Who has believed that God loves them? Who has believed that there is hope? Who has believed our message? God's saving power. Isaiah 53 verse 1 in the message paraphrase says this. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? That sums it up, doesn't it? Who would have thought that God's saving power would look like Jesus, would look like a death on a cross, would look like it was finished before it even started? Who would have thought? And yet millions and millions of people across the world have chosen to believe. Have you? Have chosen to stand. The kingdom of God is not easily understandable. It is not the powerful God of a fairy tale, but a total change of mindset from what me and you would expect. That's God. The upside down nature. It shouldn't be a surprise though. <laughs> we act surprised, but it shouldn't be a surprise because right from the start of the whole Bible, God chooses the unlikely people. Yeah? He chooses the unlikely people. An old guy, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah, unable to have children, and he says, you're going to be parents of a mighty nation. <laughs> Who'd have believed it? Who'd have believed it? Or maybe you're going to be a small nation that's going to be mighty. Israel, a nation that was almost laughed at by Egypt and Persia and Babylon. It was seen more of just a little nuisance out of the way. But God chose that. What about David? The little lad out in the field that even his own dad didn't invite to be king. Even his own dad said, well, you're not really important enough. You can stay and look after the sheep. You can't possibly, the one that, you can't possibly be the one that God has chosen. Not a chance. Who'd have believed it? God doesn't work the way we expect. Gideon, the weakest of his clan, Isaiah, that we're looking at, the man of unclean lips. So why are we surprised by God's choices? Why are we surprised when God's kingdom seems a bit topsy-turvy and seems a bit swapped? Because actually, I want to say, he's chosen me. There's not as much of a gasp as I thought there, but he's chosen me. And I want to say this morning, he's chosen you. We've sung that, we've sung that there's no shadow he won't light up. There's no, there's no wall he won't kick down that, to, to come after you. The thing is, you could still run away. He is desperate to get to you. He has chosen you. He loves you. And he says, come, come, come. And yet actually, sometimes we go, no, 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 and run the other way. He was desperate. He is desperate, so desperate to come and meet with you that he came to earth and died for you. But who'd have believed it? I want to encourage you first of all this morning. He has chosen you. However worthless you feel, however useless you've been told you are, however hopeless your life may seem, God has chosen you. And you need to keep saying that to yourself and believe it because it's true. God has chosen you. I know because he's chosen me. And if he chooses me, he'll choose anybody. No joke. 
He'll choose anybody. And it's not because you're the greatest. It's not because you're the best. It's not because you're the most talented or gifted. But it's because you might be willing to be the least. It's because you might be willing to be the servant. Just like Jesus came to be the servant king. Do you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out our worship leaders this morning. They'll be thinking now, Terra, what's he going to say? But often, you know, Marie's leading this morning. You see Paul leading. Thea last week came and stood alongside Donna. You know, the youth band. I can tell you now, not one of them really wants to be there. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. They all go, because oh, they struggle with thinking they're not good enough. But God has chosen them. You know, I'm pleased they don't want to be there because that tells me they're the right people. Because if they did want to be there, they'd be the last people we would choose. Because then it's all about them. But when our worship leaders stand at the front of church, I know it's all about God. Because they don't want to be there. They don't want to stand there. And often, Marie has a great phrase, do it scared. Do it scared. And how much have those worship leaders over the years grown? Massively. They're not the same people they were when they first stood up. They're still, they're still not really wanting to be there sometimes. Don't get me wrong, they love worshipping. And that's why they're there. Because they're not just our worship leaders, they're our lead worshippers. That's what it's about. You know, I can remember being told a story by Godfrey Bertel, who wrote one of the songs, Just One Touch from the King, that we sometimes sing. And uh, he went to a church, because he went around churches, and they said, there's something not quite right with the worship. It's not connecting. People aren't connecting with God. Can you come and have a look at what's going on? And so he went to this church and sat through a few services, and he watched, and the people in the band were technically incredible. You know, probably some of the best guitarists he'd seen. But he said, they're not worshippers. They're not worshipping. He said, there's three people in your congregation that I can tell are hungry for the heart of God, are passionate to see God, are passionate to connect with God. Put them at the front. And the church went, but they can't sing. They're tone deaf. And he said, it doesn't matter. Turn the microphones off. Because they are leading worship by worship leading, by being the lead worshippers. It wasn't about how they responded on the outside. It was their heart attitude. So I want to encourage the guys who lead our worship, I hope you will too, that actually, yeah, they're not good enough. <laughs> I'm not good enough. Joel's not good enough. You and sorry, you're not good enough. But do you know what you are? Because God says, I've chosen you. And if you're good enough for God, you're good enough for anyone. Yeah? Yes. Absolutely. I would be more worried if they thought they were good enough. Yeah? Because they know when it's not them, it's got to be God. In their weakness, he is strong. That's what it's about. In our weakness. God chooses the weak to shame the strong. God chooses the, 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 the unwise to shame the wise, the foolish. That's the word I was looking for. It's not in my notes. God chooses the foolish to shame the wise. If you think you're not clever enough this morning, neither am I. Okay, yeah, I've got a chemistry degree. Got to say that. But if you think you're foolish this morning, I wasn't even going to say that, but anyway. I felt you've not heard it for a while. I've got to get my money's worth, that's all. If you think you're foolish this morning, God says, I choose you. 
If you think you're weak this morning, God says, I choose you. So don't sit there and go, I'm not good enough. I can't do it because God says you are because I have made you good enough. I have chosen you. I have kicked down walls. I have bust down shadows. <laughs> I'm rubbish at remembering words. See, I'm, I can't remember the words. It's the biggest joke ever, isn't it? I'm at the front singing. I haven't got a clue what I'm singing. Unbelievable. But our heart attitude is more important than our aptitude. Our attitude is more important than our aptitude. Yeah, it's great that we can have talent. We have got talented musicians. You and you are good enough. You are all good enough. But they don't think it. It's not, they're not there because they think they're good enough. They're there because they want to give God the glory. They want to give God the glory. Who would have thought God's power would look like this? Who would have thought God would choose me? He chooses you. I've only done verse one. We need to crack on. Anyway, a saviour who washes feet, mercy and grace and compassion, time for the children, time for the lepers, time for the outcasts, disciples who had anger issues, disciples who weren't educated and constantly messed up. They're who Jesus chose. So why would he not choose you? Who would have believed it? Who would have thought? Let's carry on. Verses two to three. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem." This is the arm of the Lord. The arm is the power. Despised, rejected, not held in esteem. A root in dry ground. Where he grew up, where Jesus grew up 600 years after this, was not a great place politically, religiously, or anything. And Spurgeon had a quote of, maybe you sometimes think, well, there's no point in reaching out to that place because nobody will ever come from there. That's exactly the place Jesus would choose dry ground where it's hard to grow things if you think you're going through a dry period that's the ground that God chooses to grow tender shoots that's the ground God chose for Jesus to be planted in it was a place that was oppressed the verses say that this servant knew suffering who knows suffering this morning you might be suffering right now I know there's people in this room who are struggling with all sorts of illness or mental illness and pain Jesus knew suffering he knows what it's like to be in your shoes. When we cry out to God or try to tell him how hurt we are, we need to realize that he is familiar with suffering. He knows it. He knows your pain. He knows your struggles. He knows your difficulties. He knows where it's, where it's really tough. Why? Because he's familiar with suffering. He struggled. He was punished for our iniquities. Verse 4 to 5. Surely he took up our pain. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was held onto a cross by nails. 
He had a spear thrust into his side. He has thorns rammed onto his head. He was pierced. Why? For our transgressions, for our mistakes, for our past, for the wrong stuff we've done. He was pierced for all of those things. He took the punishment. He was crushed for our iniquities. Just another word of saying mistakes. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Wow. 600 years before Jesus, he was pierced for our sin. If this isn't about Jesus, I don't know who it's about. A man born in poverty, a man born in a a dry, difficult place, a man who was pierced on a cross. Why? So that you could live. I'm sure in my married life and dating before that, I have gone cold so that I could lend my wife a jumper or a jacket. Anyway, have you done that, Phil, for Marie? Have you ever lent Marie your coat and struggled on and suffered because you've been cold, because they've chosen inappropriate clothing to go out in? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, maybe you've uttered that it's fine through gritted teeth. I can see a few of the ladies turning to their partners here and going, yeah, or the men turning saying, I've done that, I've done that. You know, through gritted teeth, it's fine, Maybe we've even caught a sniffle as a result, men. You know, maybe we've even caught a sniffle because we've lent someone else our coat. I can actually remember a time when we went to the cinema in Ulverston straight from school. Chloe had had a school Christmas party and we'd promised we would go and watch the animated version of A Christmas Carol. And we went to the Roxy Cinema in Ulverston and Chloe was wearing a little, she was only about six or seven, so it was a little strappy sort of party dress. And we got into the cinema, and if you've ever been in the Roxy in winter, it doesn't have any heating, okay? No heating. Not only that, on the screen, it was filled constantly with images of snow. So not only did you have the physical sense of, oh my days, it is freezing in here, but you also had the the metaphorical one in front of you that psychologically made you feel even colder. And Chloe was sitting there going, turning blue. So I, being dad, took off my jumper, my coat, and she sat there with a hood up, and all you could see were her little eyes, and she was warm. I was freezing. You know, I wouldn't have done it, I might not have done it for you, Joel, no, but you wouldn't have been wearing a strappy dress, so it's okay. But I suffered, why did I suffer? So that the one that I loved would be warm. So the one that I loved would be protected. So the one that I loved wouldn't have to go through the same thing that I was going through. Really stupid analogy, really. But it's out of love I suffered. Is that a weakness? No. That's a strength, surely. That's a strength. So when we see Jesus is suffering, is he a weak man? No, he was a strong man. Yet he was a servant of all. He suffered in our place. The ultimate beautiful exchange. He swapped his righteousness so that we might have it. He swapped his life so that we might have it. What an incredible swap that is, yeah? Would you agree? Yeah. By his wounds we are healed. Now, This passage has been used by a lot of people to say a lot of things. And one of the things that often people say is that by his wounds we are healed. That means if we are ill, 
we need to just grab that promise that we can be healed. I believe God does heal. I have seen God heal. I have known God heal. And I know that God does heal. But I also know that sometimes we have to wait for ultimate healing. The Bible tells us that those who trust in Jesus will ultimately one day be risen and taken with him, that one day we will have new bodies, that one day everything will be back to where it should have been. That's ultimate healing. We won't always be healed. The Bible consistently tells that people of God often struggled. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Timothy had stomach problems. Jesus himself went through, literally went through hell. The Bible isn't a message of trusting God and everything will be rosy, but it is a message that trusting God and it will be eventually. Trusting God and it will be the best it could ever be. Trusting him. So I do believe that God can heal, but I do believe that this word, this verse says, by his wounds we are spiritually healed, and by his wounds we can be physically healed. Ultimately, there is total healing. Why? Because Jesus was pierced, because Jesus died, because Jesus bled. That is the message of the Bible consistently and constantly, that we can be made right, healed from the ultimate effects of our sin and our mistakes. If this passage doesn't already give us a picture of Jesus 600 years or so in the future, then let's read on. We're going to read the rest of this passage from verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus. Doesn't talk about anyone else. This does it, but Jesus. The good shepherd. This book as well talks about the shepherd so much. We're all like sheep, but there's only one shepherd. This morning, I was woken up incredibly early. Uh, BBC Radio Cumbria wanted to talk to somebody about football and faith, and because I'm on the Barrow AFC chaplaincy, they contacted me. And uh, I had to get up early to speak to Richard Corrie, and it was a privilege. But before I got up, I looked out of my window to see a load of sheep from the neighbouring field jumping off a wall and basically heading to destruction. <laughs> if they weren't careful. They jumped off the field onto somebody's garden onto a road. They've got all the grass they could want in their field. They've got all the water they could want in their field. They've got all the space they could want in their field. But the daft things are jumping off walls to go somewhere else. Who knows why? Because sheep are stupid. Trust me, I've seen them grow up now in my house. Well, literally in my house. If you've, never, if you've not been to our house, Chloe has two. But these sheep were wandering down a road that was going to take them to a busy bypass and who knows what happened. Or because they wouldn't stay in the perimeters that they were told to or the perimeters that have been set for them. The shepherd needs to come and sort them out because sheep are stupid. This passage says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We're a bit stupid. We're not content with the grass in the field that we've got, content with the provision that's been made for us, content with the boundaries that have been set to keep us safe, and we want to jump off walls into gardens and onto roads that are going to lead us down a difficult path. We all like sheep have gone astray. We're like sheep, and there is only one shepherd, and that is Jesus. 
Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Do you know, if you didn't know Jesus when he was being nailed to that cross, it says in the gospel accounts, he remained silent. He didn't curse, he didn't shout, he didn't abuse the people doing it to him. He remained silent as he was nailed to that cross, as he was whipped, as he was punished. Because he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He did it for you, he did it for me. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. Not one person stood up for Jesus. His own disciples scattered and went back to their day jobs, scared that the next would be them. The Jews were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate washed his hands of him. Nobody stood up for him. This passage, not one person from his generation protested. The innocent man taken to death. He had to be innocent to pay the price for our sins. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Again, Jesus He was crucified with two criminals, expected to be thrown into a criminal's grave, but a man called Joseph of Arimathea came and took him down from the cross and buried him in his tomb. He was a rich man. He was a wealthy man. What does this verse say? He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Jesus. 600 years before, this is Jesus. Yeah? Surely, buried in the tomb of Joseph Arimathea. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. So in other words, he will cut off, but then he will see his offspring. He will die, but then live. Jesus. It's Jesus. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. It's Jesus. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The servant finishes as the victorious king. What does a king do when they return from victory? They share the spoils. They share the spoils. They hand out the trophies. That's the picture here. A servant that has given everything, that has died but then receives the light of life, is able to share the spoils with the others. And that is Jesus. He died for you. He rose for you and he wants to share everything with you will you say yes or will you say no thanks Steve always rely on you as I say tonight there is hope that football is coming home okay people don't like that phrase if it was home it was home a long time ago it's very old now Everybody is assuming it's the time, it's the weather. Even the weather forecast is the same as it was on that day in 1966. I think that's called grasping at straws. <laughs> I think that's called trying to hype something up. But we don't know right now, we do not know 
who's going to win or lose? We don't. We hope, but we don't know. There's been promises of bank holidays, promises of late starts for workers and children, promises of time off so they can watch the game, promises of celebrations, promises of knighthoods. Unbelievable. And those of you who don't like football, they're really going, (laughs) I can't even go to my children's sports day. I get that. I'm not going to start a war, okay? I get that. But right now, we don't know who's going to win. We don't know the outcome. We do know that Gareth Southgate has been applauded for being a humble leader. What has he done? He's he's shown quite a a lot of grace. He's been quite humble. There's been no egos. There's been no strops. Why? Because he seems to have turned the rule book upside down to make sure that his England camp is a happy and contented England camp. Even the players who've not got to play. He hasn't listened to the pundits. He hasn't listened to the fans. He has done what he thinks to be right. He even appears to be loved by Jack Grealish and players that he's dropped. But if it all goes wrong and it doesn't come home, people may turn. His weaknesses may well be criticised. His leadership may be criticised as not strong enough. The all I told you so's will come out of the woodwork. The people who think they know better will start to share their opinion. Do you know, Jesus suffered and died so we could be healed from our past mistakes and the consequences of our sin to a life that goes beyond this one. He exchanged his life for ours. And do you know, we know the result because he's already won. Isaiah didn't know what was coming. He shared a vision from God. We can look back now and say, that's Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He wins. Whatever situation you're in, he wins. Because he's healed us by his wounds. He has forgiven us. He has taken on our mistakes. And he has chosen us. Verse 11 says, after he has suffered... He will see the light of life and be satisfied. That word, be satisfied, and I am nearly finished, honest. Let's go back to Isaiah 1 verse 11 very quickly, where God was angry with the Israelites, and it said, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of them. I have more than enough of them. The same word is used in both contexts. Satisfied, more than enough. Chapter 1, God's anger, warning against warning, after warning to the people of Israel. I've had enough. You can't keep going against what I say. Stop jumping out of your boundaries. Stop disobeying the things that are there to protect you. Stop trying to get through the fences when actually the field is big enough, is providing enough. And then is Isaiah chapter 11, sorry, chapter 53, verse 11. Bit of a symmetry here. After the servant has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Why? Because Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is more than enough to satisfy the bill. More than enough. The offerings weren't working, but after the sacrifice of the servant, one sacrifice for all days, we don't need to go down that route. 
The story of the red paperclip is quite unbelievable. Maybe some of you this morning still struggle to believe that Jesus loves you. Maybe some of you still struggle to believe that God is real. Maybe some of you struggle to recognize that Jesus did it for you. And you don't have to be good enough now because he has made you good enough. You just have to accept what he's done. I want to finish by reading the whole of this chapter, but in the message version. It's a bit of a poem. It's a bit of poetry, but I believe the message version helps to make it clear. So Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 12 in the message version says this. Who believes what we've heard and seen? This morning, who believes what we've heard? Who would have thought God's savings power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements. All the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We are all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. He was beaten. He was tortured. But he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare. Beaten body, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he'd give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. If you're a Christian this morning, that's you as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honours, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his own shoulders the sin of the many, and he took up the cause of all the black sheep. He took up the cause of the outcasts, the ones who needed him the most. So this morning... Can I encourage you to read this? Because it tells you what Jesus has done for you. If you don't believe, maybe this morning, I'm asking you, who does believe? If you're not sure what it's about, 
we have these cards you can have a look at. This explains the beautiful exchange of Isaiah 53. That he loved you. That we've all made mistakes. That he died on a cross for you. And the question this morning to everybody is, what will you do with it? Will you just throw it back in his face? If you're a Christian this morning, maybe it's time to come back. Maybe you've wandered off. Will you believe? Will you become a servant like the one who was before? Will we allow him to carry our mistakes? Are we willing to swap? Are we willing to swap his life for ours? Or will we carry on with the same old rubbish? Will we carry on with the stuff that has dragged us down time after time after time? The choice is ours. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this word that came so far before Jesus and yet clearly tells us what Jesus did and what Jesus, why Jesus did it. Father, this morning I pray for anybody who's watching who doesn't know you. I believe today there are people in this building and there are people watching online who need to make that choice who need to get back in the field, who need to come to the good shepherd, maybe for the first time. Father God, help them not to have that snatched away from them. Help them to be strong enough, even in their weakness, to say yes to you. And help us to know that you go through so much, that we know that you've been in our shoes, that you have gone through pain, that you've gone through suffering. And although the promise isn't for total ease now the promise is that one day we will have the victory in Jesus name Amen